had so many mentors at the time before starting my business that told me different things. And it was all basically negative. You want to do this. This is what's driving you. You're not motivated by money. You're not motivated by a short-term outcome. You've got a dream and an end game. So you can try everything to make it happen. And if it fails, it's going to be okay. You can still do something else. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that that defines you necessarily. I was like waking up every morning at like 5 a.m. doing a few hours before I started work. I get home from work at six. Then I'd be working till midnight. I was working every weekend. Like I was obsessed. I was like waking up every morning at like 5 a.m. doing a few hours before I started work. I get home from work at six. Then I'd be working till midnight. I was working every weekend. Like I was obsessed. But one of my first managers said to me, you've really got to stop smiling so much in meetings. I don't think people are going to take you seriously. The one thing about Elle that impresses me the most and still to this day is that she is a true businesswoman pioneer. My guest today is Natasia Nicolaou, or Tass, as she is known to her friends, one of the most exciting and forward-facing beauty entrepreneurs at the helm of a brand today. The brand is conserving beauty, and it has already gone viral in Australia, where the patented technology allowed them to create the world's first fully dissolvable and compostable cleansing mask and wipe. And if you are jaded by all the greenwashing and tokenistic efforts brands say they're making, then Conserving Beauty might be the brand you need to hear about. It might just put your faith back in what's really going on. It's not only the only beauty brand to be backed by impact funds, it's also led by an all-female board, including Elle McPherson, Tracy Maddock, Rachel Kelly, Kerry Lee, and Federica Nicolau. Tass was born in Melbourne and earned a science degree from Deakin University and was thriving in a job in private equity in Melbourne when the pull to create conserving beauty became too strong to resist. Relatively speaking, though, conserving beauty is still a really new brand. And Tass is a young entrepreneur and has had to encounter some steep learning curves as well as stick to her guns in order to keep the brand on the path that she originally intended. More than that, though, Tass has learned some valuable life lessons. And it is, of course, this that we'll be unpicking and exploring in this episode of The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome, Tass. How are you? I could not be more honored to be on this call with you. I'm a huge fan. My stepmom's a huge fan. We love the Emma Gunn show and I'm thrilled, 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 thrilled to be here. <laughs> I'm so delighted that you could do this. And I was saying to you before the show, before we started recording, that um, actually it's it's such an interesting thing in the beauty space. I, I, I've i gotten to this habit now of calling myself a dinosaur just because I hit over 20 years and I feel like an old relevant woman sometimes in the beauty space. And ridiculous. <laughs> but what I <laughs> definitely have noticed over the years is that people see things that need to be fixed. They see things that are mm. wrong or they see things that they wish they could change happening in the beauty space. But actually knowing how to execute that change and then being able to make it happen is a whole other story. And so the fact that you just saw this and thought, I have to do it. And you've made so yeah. much progress. I actually can't quite get my head around that, which is why I'm so glad to hear your story. Where did it all begin? Oh my goodness. Where did it all begin? So by the way, thanks for the kind intro. I feel like you summarized my career way nicer than I ever could have. I, I mean, you, you mentioned I studied science. So I've always been in like product development, ethical sourcing, sustainable supply chains in the beauty industry. So I've only worked in the beauty industry coming up to nine years. So what would that make me? Half a dinosaur? 
maybe. Half a dinosaur, yeah. I'll allow it. Half a dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) And so for me, I loved the making of products. And when I kind of moved into private equity and saw so many founders and startups, I got that excitement and that urge to create something myself. But what, what kind of spurred it on was I found that majority of the people that founded beauty brands were typically marketers or storytellers or people that have come up with gap in the market ideas or the next trendy ingredient or whatever it was, but nobody was actually bringing true innovation to the forefront and nobody was focusing on their supply chain and the the sustainability claims that were made by a lot of brands were very superficial, very surface level, very much on recyclability or being vegan or cruelty-free. And for me, being a supply chain person, I just knew that there's 30 million things that happen in the supply chain that use so many resources, impact people, the planet, and until you work and uncover all those steps and work out ways to reduce water, reduce carbon and prevent waste, then how can you really say you're making an impact? So it was kind of like a merge of all those three things. I wanted innovation. I wanted to develop it myself. I wanted to bring like legitimate sustainability. Um, And that was kind of how it all began. Mm -hmm. It took me forever. You're seeing it now. It took me forever. (laughs) It's just, it's really impressive. And I think I remember I had uh, Venetia Lamanna on the podcast probably about five years ago now. And we were talking about sustainability in fashion. And Mm. she, we were talking about t-shirts and I'm sure you know this, like every time yeah. there's a, a charity campaign, so they, they come from really good causes. But if someone says we're doing a special limited edition T-shirt to commemorate this thing or to honor this, that and the other, she's like, do you know how many gallons of water it takes to make T-shirts? Like one T-shirt, Literally. the amount of water is required. And that's, and yeah. again, it's that information is really invisible, if you like. And so nobody talks about it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But once it's pretty impressive that she was talking about that five years ago. Mm. And then, then I think it really impacts your buying decisions because once you know that kind of thing, it's very difficult to um, to unhear it. <laughs> Definitely. And like fundamentally as people, I think everybody can hand on their heart say, of course they care about the planet. Of course they're concerned about their future. Of course they want to choose products that um, you know will equally do the benefit in which they're purchasing them for but also have a good positive impact. Mm. But people don't know where to look and there's so many lofty claims. It's very hard for consumers to understand and navigate through the nonsense. So it's it's an interesting point in which we find the beauty industry. But I do think there's going to be a lot of exciting change over the next five years. I'm excited to see it. Um, I... Yeah ask all of my guests kind of the opening warm-up question if you like is about risk but before I ask you about your specific risk which we've already touched on I'm curious Mm. to know how you would define and describe your relationship with risk (laughs) my relationship with risk has completely evolved since starting a business If, if you'd met me prior to starting a business I would be described as risk adverse People would have said there is no way she's going to jump the leap of faith. I even had a mentor at one point say to me, I don't think you can hack doing a business because you're not comfortable taking risks and you need to be able to take risks to start a business. And I'm like, well, hang on, hang on. There is different levels of risks, right? Because there is there is comfortable risks, there's like educated risks, and then there's just like a gut risk or like, no, it feels right, I'm just going to do it type of risk. And so... For me, I've, become, I've always been cautious, but I would say I make educated assumptions on risks as a whole. 
Okay. I kind of just sit in the middle. I don't do like ridiculous, crazy outlandish risks, but I try and be a little bit measured in my thinking. So interestingly, I'm curious what your reaction was when that mentor said that to you, like you can't start a business because you don't have, I forget exactly what the expression was, but it just made me think, I, I, if I had been in your shoes, I would have found that quite confronting. Mm. I almost would have seen it as a criticism yeah. and that may, may have made me make, take more risks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. To be honest, I had so many mentors at the time before starting my business that told me different things. And it was all basically negative. Uh, it was you're not comfortable with risk, you are too young, you don't have enough experience, you're not a digital marketer, how are you going to sell the product? It's cool that you know how to make it, but then how are you going to actually get it into the hands of people? I had mentors tell me that nobody cares about sustainability and that retailers like Space and K or Cult Beauty would never take it. Um, I had mentors say to me, you need a co-founder because you're not enough on your own. I mean, you, you name it, I for sure had a mentor that said, don't do it. And I can't pretend like it didn't upset me. Of course it did. I cried for the first few weeks and was like, what am I doing? I've spent two years business planning, formulating, pulling my case together to get it to a point where I'm comfortable to show somebody that I respect to get their opinion. Right. And already that was confronting enough for me. And I hadn't even launched and this didn't, it just didn't even exist. And you're already trying to hold all these levels to set me backwards to be like, no, 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 no. Um, and then I had people who I love and adore in my, you know, in a circle, whether that be a family or a friend say to me, you know, are you really sure you're going to quit your business? And because I mean, are you really sure you're going to quit your job and do your business because you're going to have to take a pay cut and financial security is so important to you. Why would you want to risk like the stability in which you've built in your career and your comfortability level in your job? And that was probably the scariest point. But for me, I just kind of listened to everyone. I was upset for a couple of weeks. And then I had the people that I actually love and respect the most, which is like my, my core family, say to me, you want to do this. This is what's driving you. You're not motivated by money. You're not motivated by a short-term outcome. You've got a dream and an end game. So you can try everything to make it happen. And if it fails, it's going to be okay. You can still do something else. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that that defines you necessarily. And so I try and live by that even today, right? I have days where I go, oh my goodness, we're launching in the UK and I'm so excited. And we've made a huge progress in the step forward. I have other days where I go, oh my goodness, I'm dealing with this disastrous problem. And am I the right person to for, to lead this team? Am I the right person to be in this role? Like, what have I done? Am I a terrible founder? Am I a terrible CEO? Like, I just think it's like the constant uh, struggle of like the two voices in my head. And I, I don't know, I think the one thing that I always come back to is I really feel that my brand has a purpose, a true purpose. And I believe in the purpose and I believe in the mission so much that I'll do anything to make it happen. And that's kind of what keeps me going on those like struggle days or when I hear ridiculous criticism. So is it almost yeah. a case of um, hearing, you've got those two quite strong voices in your head, one that's saying proceed with caution and the other one saying go for it. Mm. Is it a case of, yeah. it's not about making one quiet or, or making them both quiet. It's about knowing when to listen to the right, like knowing when you listen to one over the other. It's kind of like, you know, you can't That have, is such a good point. I love that. That is a really good point because 
if I only listen to them, no, it's fine. I can do this. I've got the purpose side, right? I would probably overstep, spend way too much money. I'd probably burn through, you know, cash flow, or I'd probably make silly decisions and hire people too quickly. You never know, right? Because that's a classic move in founder land. You want to grow really quickly at any cost. No, that's definitely not me. I want to grow sustainably so that my business can handle it and that my people aren't going to get burnt out in the process and that my people can be happy doing what we're doing. So I think you're probably right. It is good that I've got the measured balance of the two voices, but some days one speaks louder than the other. And it's just kind of like the constant, the constant juggle, I would say. And um, Mm. when it comes to your specific risk, it does come back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, which was leaving that very comfortable high level job in private equity because essentially when you did leave conserving beauty was a side hustle I don't even know if it was called conserving beauty at that time it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't (laughs) it was a total side hustle I was like waking up every morning at like 5am doing a few hours before I started work I get home from work at six then I'd be working till midnight I was working every weekend I was obsessed it became an obsession it really it really truly did and it got to the point where I kept dropping down days in my private equity job because I just couldn't, I couldn't even keep up with balancing the two. And then I felt like I was doing two jobs terribly because I couldn't give either of them my 100% devoted attention. And so I just kind of knew it got to the point where I was like, no, no, I'm going to launch this thing. I need to quit my job. I need to find a way to like make it happen. Was there, because the thing about risk is that you've got something to lose. So you know what you could be walking away from. And you know what that feels Mm. like because you've already got it, but you're walking towards something that might be even better. It's kind of, um, that's how it feels. And did it just get to the point where you were were okay with leaving some stuff behind if it didn't work out? You were okay with having your tail between your legs if your friend said, tell me sang. Pretty much, to, to be fair, pretty much. And at that point in time, I really had kept my cards close to my chest. I really didn't tell that many people, apart from all these terrible mentors that I once had, who I've, who I've since not had. I know, it's so funny. But I didn't tell the world, like, oh, I'm starting a brand. And like, to this day, people ask me what I do. I kind of shy away from explaining it. Like, I don't, I don't sit there and go, I'm the founder of this brand, because I like to keep it low-key, close, close to my chest, that probably if I unpack it and think about it, probably it's part of me that just doesn't want to um, over outlandishly be like, I'm doing this great thing. Everyone get on my, get on my bandwagon just in case. But I, I definitely knew in my heart of hearts, if I, if it all failed and it didn't work out and I had to go, I don't know, wash dishes tomorrow to try and pay my rent, would I be okay doing that? Yes, I would because I believe in it enough and, I, and I'm okay with having a learning experience that I, I don't care if I have to start again from scratch. And I think that's probably been a common theme my whole life is that I've always chosen learning opportunities in my career over anything else. I chose learning opportunities and took pay cuts when I moved jobs or whatever it was purely because I thought that that would benefit me more in the long run rather than trying to stay and get that extra, you know, pay rise or that extra short promotion or whatever the short-term thinking was, I never took that. So it probably makes sense that I'm okay with choosing the things that matter more to me. And that was learning and growing my career because if I'm learning and growing, all the other stuff will come eventually. It will, it will naturally happen, right? But if I'm just 
choosing things based on a short-term outcome or even just specifically a financial outcome, how could that really end up making making a positive change within my career? I just don't think that's a smart move for me. And I'm glad I didn't, to be, to be fair. You know, I've never heard it said like that, but it's made me realise that that's genius actually to think about them as learning opportunities because I think you're right. And I I think we're also motivated by making the next step based on there's this idea, isn't there, that the next step you take in your career, you'll get more money for it because you've accumulated right? more experience. Yeah. And I think exactly. I think this idea of learning, taking a learning opportunity is a really good reframe because mm. how old are you now? I am 29. So you're 29. Not to sound like Cher Horowitz and Clueless, but I'm going to. When she <laughs> no, says okay. to Ty, when is your birthday? As someone who's three months older than you, it's quite one thing to, uh, anyway, it's that, it's that thing. But I definitely. I know exactly that. that. <laughs> as a 45 year old woman, I know that I have had all of these opinions and all of these things that I've wanted to say about the industry for a really long time, but it has really genuinely only been in the last five years when there is evidence mm. of me having participated in this industry for a while and have been having been around for a while, that I don't mm. have to try as hard to get my voice heard. And so when I was thinking right. about what you've done and achieved, I have thought, well, I wonder how you overcame that. You overcame this, the fact that there I'm sure would have been people who would have perhaps mm. thought your age worked against you or you weren't quite ready for it oh, or definitely. quite earned your place to say this or do this? Oh, I still get that. Like people are always shocked that I'm younger than what they would expect, right? And and I look not how they would want me to expect. I don't know. Like I just think people put so many layers, especially on women. And I started my career early on, right? I've been working full-time since I was 20 because I was young for my year and I've always been a hustler. I've never taken a break. And when I have had my career in the beauty industry, I think it's interesting to note that my, my choices of jobs were always um, ones that were like part assistant to the CEO or the COO or whoever was really in charge. And people would judge me. All my friends at the time would judge me, especially in the workplace. And they would say, why are you still holding on to that part EA role and part, you know, sourcing manager? You're killing it. You're supposed to progress. You're supposed to drop all those things aside and not be, you know, slaving away, running around the clock, assisting somebody senior. And I sit there and go, well, no, I'm actually making the biggest connection with the people that are making all of the decisions in business. I get to go to all of the board meetings. I take all of the minutes. I hear what's actually happening. I've learned how to run a PL. I am in the inner circle of the people that are actually choosing what happens. And I am learning tenfold. So if I take away all those little jobs that you're probably thinking are like beneath you, whether that be getting coffee or getting people dinner or booking someone's flight, I don't care. I have zero ego. None of that bothers me when I'm, in fact, I'm building the best relationships with the people that are running the business. And guess what? That really paid off because that's how I ended up in private equity. And then the owners ended up being my first investors. So for me, it was a smart move, but at the time, everyone was like, drop it. What are you doing? And, you know, you're supposed to be taking all these leaps and jumps. And do you really want to be still half assisting someone later in your career when you're trying to excel and progress? And I just couldn't have cared less. But another interesting point in my career, and especially starting a business, and this is where the age thing comes really into play. Running a business is one thing and raising capital is another. Raising capital as a female founder 
full stop is so difficult, right? Less than 2% of global venture capital funding goes to female founders. If you then take that number and look at it at people under the age of 30, it's like 0.00 something, right? It's a tiny, minute fraction. So I'm already going, hang on, I'm being borderline discriminated against my gender and now my age. How am I supposed to get the funding to kind of bring my vision to life? Why is it so much harder to be a woman or based on my age? When age and gender is completely irrelevant and it is all about quality of experience, what you're bringing to the table as the founder, what your innovation and IP is, and that is what you should be judging me on, right? It's not, it's got nothing to do with my gender and my age. And so going through a fundraising process has probably been one of the most challenging, eye-opening and insightful things I've ever had to do because it wasn't until I started going through that process that I didn't realize that there were so many limitations and barriers and preconceived notions that people put on you based on your age or your gender, which is kind of ridiculous if you really think about it. It's absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, it happens all the time. But did um did it ever potentially have the, did you ever think it was going to stall the business or mean that you wouldn't be able to get this idea into a reality? Yeah, I actually really did. I was really worried at one point because I thought nobody's going to take me seriously. And I got a lot of like, especially one of the investors I met with early on, they said to me, look, I really didn't want to meet with you. You know, you do. I heard young girl in beauty and I thought, "Mm, bit of a waste of time, but I did it as a favor to one of your board members who introduced me. And you know what, actually, after meeting you, it turns out out of the 550 founders I've met in the last six months, you're the most impressive. And he's saying this to me, like it is a huge compliment and that I should be sitting there going, wow, how fantastic. He thinks I'm the best of the 550 people. What he doesn't realize is he's insulting me and he's that ignorant and so removed from the conversation that he couldn't even see what he was saying would be a bit of a backhanded compliment. And I just, you know, I often find myself in that position now. And I think it used to bother me more than it does now because I don't, I don't, I'm like removed from it. But if I take a step back and think about it, it bothers me for the other women or the other people that it would really hold them back because not everybody has the right um, the right people around them to be able to say, no, that's ridiculous, we'll find a way through or they haven't had the experiences or the connections or the introductions. And so I really don't like that that's kind of the landscape of venture capitalists or like fundraising. It's not cool. Not that we want to necessarily platform somebody who said that to you, but I'm curious if... No, we won't. (laughs) But I'm curious if there was an explanation as to why you had stood out. Because I think that's what I think is really interesting because it's not about the age or the demographic or any of those things. It's about what you bring to the meeting, mm. whether it's enthusiasm, whether it's the level of research, whether it's the quality of the presentation, whether it, there's a lot more that goes into it. And I wonder whether in addition to making that comment, right. which was obviously a backhanded compliment, if there was actually anything that he said that someone listening to this might be able to take away and think, actually, if I'm ever in front of anybody, I need to bring the energy or or what task brought to that meeting because obviously yeah. that's what made that could make me stand out definitely I can tell you what my 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 investors at yes would say that how I stood out they would have probably said it would be a mixture of I really knew my stuff it's very different if you're doing everything yourself 
and building your whole business yourself. So if you go into a meeting and somebody asks you a question, whether it be financial, whether it be something about sales, whether it be something about the product or operations or supply chain, whatever they asked me, I had an instant answer because I built everything myself. Financial model, learned how to do it myself. Coded a website, learned how to do it myself. Built the product from scratch, know how to do that. So I think they were impressed with the level of detail in which I could respond to things. And I think just having the confidence that I really knew my business and had an answer for everything. And I didn't have to say things like, well, let me go check with my CFO. Or like, let me go check with my accountant. Or let me go check with my salesperson. I think that was what was impressive to them. And then I think on top of that, I think the true conviction and like excitement um, and the, the scope of work and like the extent of which I thought about the business. I think I think people really got excited that it was a long-term vision and that I'm really trying to make tangible changes and measure things properly and do it the right way. And I've got the solution. And in terms of sustainability and impact, it is a lot easier to do it for an inception rather than try and fix it and retrofit sustainability within your product and supply chain. And that's one of the reasons why the beauty industry has taken so long to try and catch up because it's so hard for all these big conglomerates to go backwards and fix the deep-rooted issues. It's going to take them years. That's why people have targets that say, oh, by 2050. It's like, what are you guys talking about? In that many years, like it's a bit, it's a bit too late. So the young innovators that can actually build products or build ideas around from inception to try and actually make changes. Those are the ones that are actually really exciting. So I think I brought all of those things to the meeting that I think, listen, I probably wore them down that they said, all right, fine, give, give it to the girl. But those types of themes, I think, get, get investors excited. <laughs> well, I'm also interested, obviously it hasn't been smooth sailing, but from the outside, it could be perceived as having been, you had this idea, you left this job, you took a risk and woohoo, now you're- Yeah, it was not having- like that. But but you didn't have to do what you thought you might have to do when you took that leap, which was go and work in a coffee shop to pay your rent. So from the Probably. outside, it could look as though you've had this incredible, um, uh, I don't want to use the word lucky, but it's kind of like, yeah, she she tried to fly and she flew, she soared. It's been amazing. Yeah. Um, do you right. think that's quite hard as well in the sense that... It's so hard. That that surely will work against you. People are like, oh yeah, she's just lucky and it will almost minimise oh, what you've achieved. Oh my God, they minimize it. Or especially if I ask people for help, right? Like, for example, like my business has been in market for, we're about to hit a year and a half. It's been a hot minute. We're still in our infancy. And yes, we've had some phenomenal wins. Yes, we've launched some great innovation. Yes, I've got lovely people on my board and I've got an amazing team. And, you know, we've got some really fantastic retailers. All of those things are fan- like great and exciting. However, we are still so early. People don't even know we exist. We, we're like a tiny little piece in the bigger beauty supply chain, right? And so I struggle when everyone's like, oh, you've made it. You're killing it. I'm like, how do you define made it and killing it? Because for me, you're only seeing some PR pieces, maybe a podcast, maybe all the exciting, glass, glossy, Instagram-esque things. You're not seeing the daily struggle in which go through behind the scenes. You're not seeing all the targets we're trying to hit. You're not seeing my, my stress and I don't sleep and I'm anxious and all of these layers. So I always laugh when people go, oh my goodness, you're doing so well. And I go, oh no, you're seeing the three good things. I haven't told you the 10 bad things. That is like probably my go-to answer to everybody. And just because I'm like a charismatic 
I would say smiley glass half full type of person people assume that I probably got it all together and that everything's easy and I'm positive and it's all happy days but I also have really a lot of pressure um, and anxiety if I'm brutally honest because it is really exhausting it is really hard running a business and I absolutely have days where I go did I make the right decision am I the right person for this job? Should someone else be doing this? Am I good enough? I struggled that all the time. And I would be lying if I said I didn't. And it is hard when people try and go, no, but it's all good. And I'm like, define good. Everyone's perception of good is very, very different. You just described yourself then as charismatic. And I wonder if that is a little bit of the secret sauce. And if you had to explain or describe Mm -hmm. what that charisma is and how it's worked to your advantage, what would you say? I don't know if it's worked to my advantage, but I think I was raised by a really upbeat, glass half full, positive mother. That is that is who my mom is through and through. And she always said to us, anyone you come into contact with, you should have a positive, like a positive kind of interaction with them, even if it's short, even if it's somebody that you're ordering a coffee from, you're passing someone on the street, um, they're your long-time best friend or whoever you come into contact with, it needs to be a positive one because people make the world go around. People make businesses go around, people really matter. And if you're building amazing relationships, then whatever you do in life will be, you know, it will, it will kind of work out for you. And so I really try and pride myself on being kind and good to everyone. And I've always been like that. But at the same time, a lot of people would probably look at me and think, oh, she's always making a joke. She's always smiley. She ditzy. Is she not smart? This and that. Um, And just because I'm positive, upbeat and kind doesn't mean that I'm not smart or I'm not with it or I don't know exactly what's happening in the room. I think that kind of works against me. Actually, another mentor I had, you'll laugh. I've had too many mentors, too many terrible ones. But one of my first managers said to me, you've really got to stop smiling so much in meetings. I don't think people are going to take you seriously. And I said, I'm not changing my personality to fit a niche box in which you want me to be in. Because I was in like the boys club in supply chain. There really weren't that many women in supply chain. And just because I'm different from what you guys are, doesn't and just because I go about it in a different way and my negotiating style isn't your style all the boys in the team were like very very hard hitting like they go into a meeting be like this isn't good enough we want this we want that my negotiating style is going into a meeting going what what do you guys want out of this and they would tell me and I'd go because I need this how are we going to bring it together let's find middle ground you want to win here totally you deserve to win we deserve to win let's find a way to make it happen that doesn't make my style right or wrong and that doesn't make his style right or wrong we're just different people and that comes naturally to me and that's what's come naturally to him so I just feel like I wasn't about to change my personality to fit somebody else's ideal of how I need to be as a manager or how I need to be negotiating and I've kind of carried that through now even in my job I just like to I just would rather choose to be positive you're making me feel like even more of a dinosaur because I'm realizing that I definitely oh stop it (laughs) no because I definitely realized that I I made myself have hard edges in business because I thought that that was how not to get yeah it's because I think I thought that if you had hard edges and if you did the thing where you played hardball that kind of jazz Mm. then people wouldn't take advantage of you and that's definitely something that I observed, learned and absorbed from the, a more sort of male energy. See what I mean? That was, well, that was my first, that was my first experience in my first job. That was very much, um, that was very much the vibe. And I just, I don't know, I can't, 
you can't change who you are and why should you? I think everyone should be uniquely different. That's what makes them special. And so trying to change yourself to fit a style of work ethic or even interaction is never going to get you the outcome you actually want because it doesn't come natural to you. And then you're not being authentic. And I think people can see that. So I think that, and that has a like a flow on effect. So yeah, yeah, just, just own it. If that's your, and if you're a hard ass type person, go for it. Be a hard ass type of person. (laughs) Oh no. But the thing is, is that if you, I think if you develop it as a, as a sort of a front as I did, uh, but your actual yeah. personality is that you are a very soft-bellied, emotional, highly sensitive person. The two simply, mm. uh, that the, eventually you're going to end up in therapy. It's like- <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Adam, I've still ended up in therapy being my way. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to switch gears ever so slightly because um, you gave an answer. I also ask, uh, I ask my guests an array of questions before I speak to them. And I, I ask one of the questions is about the excuse that you might use. Is there a recurring excuse you make for yourself or for others that has either set you back or shows up in a way that you don't love? I loved your answer to this because actually you said it's not an excuse, but it's assumptions. And I actually want to read it because I think a lot of listeners will just be like nodding. Please ferociously. do. Please read it. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> you said it's not necessarily an excuse, but let's call it assumptions. Assuming someone has done something that I've asked them to do, assuming they wouldn't make a silly mistake because it's common sense, assuming customers will know what a sustainability phrase means, assuming people will understand how to use our products, the list goes on. I always now say to myself and my team to never assume anything, even if you think it's silly. Yeah, that is so true. I stand by that. That was a good answer. But that's the truth. I mean, that is probably the biggest learning. Yeah, I just think early on, I always made assumptions all the time. I'm like, oh, surely they'll know. Surely that person will understand. It's like, no, people actually don't know. And you don't know what somebody's level of understanding is. And it's okay that not everybody knows everything. So dot every I and cross every T. And my team, that's been the biggest learning for them because I think they're they're a bunch of entrepreneurial hustlers and they move quickly and so do I and it's very easy to make assumptions on the move because you're like oh no you'll be fine this and that will work out and it's like no guys that's where things go wrong and it's those little assumptions that end up having a huge huge impact and it's we really try and stop ourselves from doing those same silly mistakes I, it just it made me think of so many things. And for example, I work with some coaches on uh, uh, fitness and mm. the amount of times when they do ask me any things on Instagram stories. And I would say that pretty much every day they have to answer the same question, maybe phrased ever so slightly mm. differently, but fundamentally it was going to elicit the same answer. And they never get tired of saying the same thing over and over again. They never make anybody feel silly for having asked them something that they have answered a million places, not only a million times before, but that if you simply go to their page and scroll back a couple of posts, you're probably going to find the information you want. And I spoke to them about it and they said, well, you, you simply cannot assume exactly as you've said that they've engaged with anything else. You just have to assume that they've come to you completely new. And so you have to, you have to educate them in in a really fair way. Absolutely. It's so true. And like you, exactly. And we're assuming that people see it all the time, right? They might be following you. doesn't mean the algorithm shows you the same stuff every day. They have no idea. And people have every right to ask questions. I think that's 
awesome that people want to learn people want to actually uncover things people want to be a part of a community and I think that's really cool and it should be celebrated rather than be like oh as if you don't know this or if you read my you know post from three weeks ago you would know it's like come on yeah let's let's be a little bit more understanding than that yeah I mean has there um has it ever been something that's shown up for you in a way where you you realized oh I just thought that everyone knew what I did because that's the thing isn't it it's like you can't expect people to see the world through your lens because everyone's lens is completely unique and that's that's a lot of I would say that um takes a lot of um that's what I'm trying to find here you have to you just have to be very self-aware to understand that not only do people not see the world as you do but they might have a completely mm. different perspective on the same thing oh definitely especially when it comes to green claims I mean if you look at sustainability as a whole if you asked 10 different people what does sustainability mean I feel like you'd get 20 different answers do you know what I mean and if you say things like water conservation do people even understand what that means I thought waterless beauty and water conservation was quite self-explanatory when I launched my business turns out not the case and rightfully so if that's not your background or you haven't come into contact with it of course you don't know it so it's really funny because we've kind of gone on this evolution journey of how we speak about things in our business and how we talk about the products and how we describe them and how we talk about sustainability. And if I watch a video back from a year ago versus I watch a video now, it'd be completely different because I my video from a year ago was making assumptions that people would know certain terms and buzzwords and explanations. And my, my, my video is now very like, let's strip it all back. Let's use all the big words and nonsense and let's break it down in a really understanding and relatable way that anyone of any age could watch it and hopefully learn something from it and take away from it. So it's definitely been uh, a journey and I probably had to, I wish I learned that sooner because I think I wasted a lot of time in a different way of like stylized communication yeah, but because, okay. yeah, because you it. feel as though when you talk about it for the first time, you're like, right, check. Now, how do I move the story on? It's very, I'm a trained yeah. journalist. So it's always about, right, we've written that story. We're talking about this subject or these people again. How do we move the story forward? But actually, some, I mean, some of the most successful content, particularly online, is where fundamentally the same message is repackaged, but not move forward necessarily or made more complicated. It's just repackaged in this mm. with different colors, it's exactly the same. But in it's exactly that repetition. So do you feel as though you are on um, on a bit of a uh, sort of journey with just having to keep saying the same thing over and over again? Because this oh, yeah. message, particularly about waterless beauty and about um, sustainability, you're absolutely right. The vocabulary around it, although we have more than we've ever had before, we're not all mm. we're not all saying the same thing, even if we might be using the same language. No, the understanding is completely different. Like another really good example is if you ask somebody, what about what's sustainable packaging? You'll get 30 different answers. Some people will say, oh, it has to be a refill or it has to be recyclable. Some people will say it has to be compostable. Some people will say it has to be at least 50% PCR. And it's like, God, what, what is the right answer, right? It's just confusing to people. And it's interesting when, when I hired my marketing director, she's got... 20 plus years experience in the beauty industry. She comes from Mecca, Net-a-Porter, very, very smart woman. And she comes in because she's used to working in bigger business and she's looking at the marketing calendar and she's like, right, every month we've got to change the messaging and every week on the homepage, the content's got to change and all of these things, right? And we tried that for a period. It wasn't really working. And we worked out, do you know why? Because we're not an established big business like Net-a-Porter who are getting millions of viewers every single week onto their website. 
We are at the start of our journey and all people need to know now is the one clear message. And if they're going to learn anything on our website, um, let it be about our hero product and let it be about our story. And so we have completely flipped it. We talk about the same thing over and over and over again. If you scroll down on our Instagram, we're probably talking about slightly different things, but very much the same context and same thing consistently. And since we did that and changed our approach, we like tripled conversion because I think that's actually what hits and resonates with people. And they might see a post from one week. They might then hop onto the website. They might get an email and it's all the same messaging. So they go, now it's sinking in. Now I can understand it. And that makes logical sense, like completely. But it really took us a while to kind of work that one, work that one out. Because, yeah, it's confusing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, I'm keen to talk about the opportunities that you've either grabbed with both hands or let pass you by. And again, you gave a great answer to this question. Mm. Because um, I was talking to a friend yesterday about how how important it is to be a yes person and <laughs> and not a no. That person. wasn't my answer. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's le- it's leading into your answer. Is how okay. important it is to be a yes person. And I said, well, I I am overcautious. I'm risk averse, which is why my entry question with everybody is about risk. Because in many ways, I'm trying to get all of my guests to coach me towards being a little bit more of a risk taker. But um, that's exciting. But uh, say I, I'm not saying no to be obstinate. I'm saying no out of fear or because oh, I I tried it before and it didn't work. So actually, what that tends to do is it closes the world off to you which is why I would like to be more of a yes person. But I thought what you said was really interesting because you said it's equally important to say no as it is to say yes to opportunities. And in actual fact, it's often what you say no to that can lead to a success. It's not always the yeses. It's kind of like this idea that if you say yes to everything, then eventually something amazing will happen. And I think it's really important to weight the no's as importantly, which is what you were saying. Oh, definitely. I used to be a yes person consistently. So I was probably the opposite to you. I was yes, yes, yes to anything. You asked me something. Yep, I've got it. Do I know how to do this? I'd say yes. And then I'd go home and YouTube and go work it out and try and work out how to do it, uh, which is hilarious when I think back to that time in my career. But I learned the power of saying no, because recently, like a really good example, we had a huge distributor come to us and offer to take on our products to a new market. Uh, and it was a huge opportunity, one of one of the really, really good ones, somebody that we had on our year five plan. So I, I was excited and I was very flattered. So I'm like, wow, I had these on my, my year five plan, right? And then they came to us and they gave us a proposal and they gave us some terms. And I looked at it and I just thought, there is no way that I would be able to fulfill what they're asking me to fulfill with my current team and my current cash. There's just, there's just no way, right? Like it would burn my team out completely. We're already working hard. We've, we've got a clear focus and we've got a clear strategy and like we've chosen the UK and that's where we're launching and that's what we're excited about. For me to derail the whole team and try and add on another layer of them just to hit a target that I'm trying to hit in five years, 
is just not the smart business move. And some people said to me, well, you could go raise more money and, you know, hire someone else to do it and, you know, take on that responsibility. And I just said, yeah, but that's not in the plan right now. That isn't the plan in five years time. And it was there for a reason because I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it sooner. And while I want to say yes, because it would be an exciting opportunity, it's not the right time. And it doesn't mean that I'm not saying yes for forever, but I'm saying no for now. And that was a hard no for me to say, but I really believe it was the right thing for my people, for my business at this point in time. And I still stand by it for most days. Some days I go, mm, should I have said yes? But that's okay. Well, <laughs> and equally, I've said yes to things and tried to make it happen last minute. And that's been phenomenal and worked out, you know? So funnily, as you were telling that story, I thought, God, I've just spoken to so many uh, brand owners and brand founders who have done exactly that in that position where they thought Mm. we can't fulfill these orders. So all of them, CEO, everyone, receptionist goes to the factory and starts filling up bottles and packaging up boxes because they're like, well, we have to somehow figure it out. And then that's the, that's the incredible success story that makes the podcast. And like, yeah, sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it and just kind of like throw everything at it. But actually it's really good to hear this side of it, which is, or... You say no mm. now, but knowing that it's not going to rule it out in the future. And actually when you then do totally do it, it's going to be, well, it's going to be much less stressful, hopefully. Absolutely. And it's like, if they want us early on for me, that goes, oh, cool, proof of concept. I go, okay, we are in the right place at the right time with the right product. For me, that gives me excitement and motivation to go, okay, cool, there is a need for my business. We're just we're not there yet, but that's okay. At least somebody else thinks that, this is the right place, right time for us. Um, but you'll laugh. I had, I had like when I launched with Mecca prior to that, when I first signed them in Australia, and you, you obviously would know who Mecca is because you're a beauty connoisseur. Mecca's but huge. Like this huge. It's a big deal in Australia. It's like a really, really big deal. And it's very hard to get in. Like mm-hmm. I've got, I think, 250 brands and four of those brands are Australian. So we are one of four Australian brands. It is like very hard to get in. And I pitched to them a year before I launched just to see what they would say if they had any thoughts and ideas on my business. And when I went and met them, I went in with black lids and like a a bit of a different look and feel. And they said to me, you know what? I love the brand. Now's the time for a brand like yours, innovation, sustainability, amazing. But we hate your black lids. I just feel like you're not another black lid on shelf. Would you consider changing it? Within like three days, I'd like made a different lead color. I changed it to yellow. I had a different thing and I quickly hustled to that. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. And then that got me, you know, escalated on the shelf. So it's like, I said yes to smart things where I felt like it would make the right sense. So I definitely, definitely have not regretted the yeses in my careers too, but I would definitely celebrate some of my big no's. I want you to tell me if you wouldn't mind about your board because you've got a really impressive board. It's the it's an all female board, yeah. and it's Elle McPherson is on there. And actually, I was laughing when I was um, finding out about the brand because I think the last time I saw Elle in the flesh was at lunch, and I was sitting next to her and we were quizzing her about her beauty tips. And this was before um, reusable water bottles. Say? And she was like, well, I drink, (laughs) she said, I drink three liters of water every day. And I start with half a liter of water. And I basically just like, I have six half a liter bottles of water around the house. One's by my bed and I wake up in the morning and I drink that. Then I go downstairs and there's one there. And it was when plastic bottles were, no one was talking about plastic bottles in the way that we were now. Oh my goodness. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty, I mean, at the time (laughs) I certainly wasn't thinking it, maybe she was ahead of the game, but it was making me laugh because I thought this entire, the entire premise for this is obviously 
the the waterless beauty and the fact that water is a diminishing resource that we have to be really really mindful of and the fact that you saw that it was being so overused at all stages during production you thought well there has to be a way to create beauty where we don't use so much water but anyway that's sort of a a side note about my story about that's hilarious six bottles of water but I wonder what it's like working with those women who have such a broad Mm. spectrum of experience across numerous industries and what it's like being able to tap into their wisdom. Well, it's been a really interesting journey. So like throughout my whole career, right, all those mentors I mentioned that held me back, pretty much all of them were males. And I don't know if that's a common theme, but they pretty much were. And on the flip side, later in my career, I started to meet really, really smart, brilliant women. And I was drawn to them because I've had all these male figures say no 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 or try and hold me back whether they meant it or not I don't know it might have been just an accident but it just happened and then all of a sudden I'm in this exposure to women like Elle so I did I met Elle let's start with her as a great example I met Elle through her business Welco uh, at the private equity fund that I worked for we invested in Welco and my job was basically I would go on like secondments and work within the businesses that they invested in and I would help fix their supply chain or I would help IP ownership of their formulations or I'd work on innovation um, and all the all the things that I'd worked on for years right and so when I met Elle I was like immediately drawn to her like story and the conviction and the authenticity of the business and I did this equipment with her ended up kind of being her right hand for probably like two years and so we kind of just formed a friendship and bond and the one thing about Elle that impresses me the most and still to this day is that she is a true businesswoman pioneer through and through like you go to a board meeting with Elle even her board meetings she's the opposite to a yes person she is like the let me ask the most obscure question everyone's saying yes on something and she's coming at it from a completely different angle and she's like you haven't thought of this random thing and everyone goes oh yeah l we hadn't thought of that random thing and thank god you brought it up because our brains were not even going there because it was so um obscure and like a really creative thing that nobody had even thought about so my exposure to her i'd go to all the welco board meetings and go whoa she's serious business like she knows what she is talking about right and she pioneered her category for ingestible beauty quite early on before ingestible beauty became the cool trendy thing mm-hmm. that it now is the super elixir was like one of the first and so when i was doing my thing i was really like well i'm trying to pioneer a space i'm trying to innovate I'm essentially trying to do similar things, not the same business remotely. We don't have the same background. I obviously am not a supermodel. Um, I don't look anything like a my person and I am not her. But her business idea and her pioneer mentality is something that I was really drawn to. And I thought, you know what? I've worked with her for two years. I'm just going to shoot my shot. If she says no, it doesn't matter because either way, I'll respect her opinion on what she thinks of my business. And I, I showed her my business. And I said, hey, Elvin, what do you think? And this is what I want to do. And I'd, I'd be so honored if you join my board. And she goes, Tass, and you are you are a rock star on day one. And I know you're going places and this business is amazing. And I'll do anything to help you. And I was like flawed, completely flawed. Still am flawed, to be honest. Still wow. am flawed. Pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool that another founder like, was happy for me to work in her business. Like I was working in her business while I was working on my side hustle. She knew that and she was okay with it and then even wanted to help me because a lot of people are not cool with that. They don't want you working on your business while you're working for them, right? She was like, you're going to kill it. Go for it. 
That's incredible. And that also speaks to something else you said about shooting your shot is like, don't assume someone aren't someone's answer. That was the, another thing that you said in the assumptions thing. Don't assume that it's going to be a no. Exactly. The only way you're going to find exactly. out is to shoot your shot. Exactly. So, I, so then I started shooting my shot. She was the first shot. Uh, <laughs> and then I went with the rest. So I met a woman called Carrie Lee Sinclair. She had a startup, sold it to Microsoft when she was 27. And so I was drawn to her because I'm like, wow, she was under the age of 30. And she basically built like almost like a version of Spotify before Spotify was cool, right? This was a, this was a long time ago. And she's Canadian. And I met her because she chairs this program in Australia that helps women raise money because it's so hard, right? And so she's just, she was incredible. I met her through the program. I did the accelerator and I just thought I got to ask her. And everyone said to me, she's never going to say yes. She doesn't say yes to anyone's boards. And thank God she said yes, because she is like a true, true, true financial like power house and it's just cool having another founder that's like been through it so young um and then I've got Fed who is my number one business partner um I've worked with her my whole career she's also my aunt and her whole like career was sustainability and supply chain and she's always backed me and she's always been the person in the back of the corner going if you can do it if you think you say you're going to do it I back you 100% no questions asked I'll back you blindly and that is really nice to have someone in your corner that would back you blindly especially when you've been told so many no's and it really really helps when I have my hard days to call her and go oh no I'm dealing with this crisis what do you think and she's like you know what to do she tells me what to do she always goes you know what to do walk me through your two options and then I walk her through my two options and she goes, what do you think? She's not telling me what I should think. And I find that such a valuable learning because when things go wrong, people often go to people and be like, what's my solution? And it's like, in our heart of hearts, we know our solution. We just need to work out and in our like in our thought process with somebody what that solution is. And so that that's fed. Um, problem solver must mind. That seems and then I've got be... Tracy who's from Oh no, yeah. Tracy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so Tracy's from the UK. I met her through mutual connections in the beauty industry. She's like Oxford fellow, AI extraordinaire, worked with the Beckhams for years. She's worked with Barbara Sturm um, and a bunch of people in the beauty industry that have phenomenal reputations. And I met her and she was like, I love your science, legitimacy, your story. There are so many brands that say they're rooted in science or say all these crazy claims. And I just feel like I want to help you craft your story better and like help you bring the marketing to the forefront because that's obviously not your background, but you've got the authenticity that I feel like I can help you make it happen. And so that's been Tracy. So all very uniquely different women, but, and it's cool that they're all over the world in different countries. And then we all kind of come together and we always joke at board meetings that I feel like I dump almost like all my problems, all my ideas on the table and they help me build it together like in a Rubik's cube, you know, and we piece it all back together together. And then I leave the meeting and I go, oh, okay, I feel good now. I feel better knowing that my thoughts were validated and that I wasn't crazy and that they agreed with me on these six parts. And then they told me not to do something that could have, you know, been a detriment to the business. <laughs> well, the other thing that's handy about, um, about having a board all over the world. And I was just checking what time it is in your time zone. So you're chatting to me at 10 PM in the evening. Yes. Just, just sitting. 10 yeah. Well, well, that's it's Sydney. It's my favorite thing to do at 10 PM. <laughs> but on. if you have, if you have a board that's all over the world, like if you're, you, you've always got someone who'll pick up the phone, even if it's at three o'clock in the morning, your time, and you're having True. a moment, you've got someone who it's lunchtime. And you're like, Hey, I need to chat. Literally. 
literally I start my day with some of them I end my day with some of them it's kind of perfect that's really really works well um Mm. I really enjoyed what you said then about the way Fed says to you what do you think not just the back you 100% I think that's lovely because my question that I was thinking about asking you is how do you get the most out of your mentors which we will come back to but I actually thought that was a really beautiful Mm. way to get the most out of your mentees which is don't Mm. just tell them what you know and expect them to do the same actually um, uh, nurture them and say you've got the information in front of you where were you thinking what are you thinking and actually the mentoring is allowing you to process all of that information analyze it and then move forward without actually really any input I'm sure she would say right that's the wrong move Tass but I'm I'm guessing that that's never oh yeah if it was a terrible I mean maybe maybe once or twice (laughs) but no, I think it's a really powerful place to be in rather than sitting there dictating to someone what they can and can't do. Yeah. And I don't do that with my team either. When they come to me and ask me things, I always go, but why have you done that? And then they'll explain why. And I go, yeah, that makes complete sense. So what do you want to do now? And they'll say that and I'll be like, yeah, okay, that's cool too. Because otherwise you're just thinking for everybody else and then you're yeah. limited on how you grow and you're never going to properly learn how to dig yourself out of holes because at the end of the day, right, I've got all these brilliant mentors and brilliant board members, but they're not in the trenches with me every day doing what I'm doing. So I really need to be able to work it out for myself and go to them for guidance and help. I won't I won't be able to work it out for myself if I'm just going, what do I do now? What would you do? What about this? It's like, how, come on, how am I going to work through it myself? And then I just want to know if the validation is correct or my thought process is on the right train of thought. And Fed's really good at that. Um, And to be honest, I really try and do that with my team. But sometimes it's hard because equally, sometimes I'm on the founder level where I just got to get in there and do it myself. And I fight with myself and go, no, let the people do it. Or I I could do it 10 times quicker if I did it. But sitting there watching them work it out, might take them two hours extra. But then I go, no, that's okay because I won't be here every day. I need to be able to be able to do it when I'm not here. So let them have the extra two hours. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be done exactly how I would do it either. And that's been a learning for me that I've had to like, okay, take a step back. You don't need to be like all over everything and they don't need to do it exactly how you would want to do it. And that's, that's okay, you know? So if you, because when I'm thinking about, mentors I'm thinking that you wouldn't want to become a nuisance or you wouldn't want to go to them with every single problem so is there a way if someone's listening to this and they're thinking either I want a mentor or I have a mentor but how do I get the best out of that relationship is there a sense check that you Mm. have in place before you make that call or send that email to know actually is this on the timeline of our relationship together is this an email or is this a call I want to make can I figure this out myself or how do you know when to lean on your mentors? Yeah, it's been a learning for me. Like, so for example, like when I first had my board members, I had like structured one-on-one set in the diaries with all of them, like separately in addition to our structured meetings, right? And so sometimes I come to the meetings and I'm like, what do I want to talk about this week? I'd have to think about it. Or, you know, I might've had a problem come up, but I've already solved it before the meetings happen. So then it's like, oh, I'm telling you about the meeting rather than you actually helping me through the problem and so I worked out that that wasn't that wasn't it for me I don't like structured mentorship that just doesn't work for me I would rather call you in a moment or I'd this this is kind of the way I go if I'm dealing with a problem and I really want to talk to Fed I text her and I go hey I have three things I want to run past you can you give me a buzz when you wake up she lives in Rome 
And then she calls me straight away and I go, yep, these are my three problems. Let's talk about them and I'll explain. And she goes, yep, 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 yep. If I've got something up and coming that's like, I know in two months I'm going to be doing this, like Elle, can I have a one-on-one with you about, you know, PR and um, how do I frame this as a founder and whatever. And I'll do like a proper deep dive session with her. That's cool. But if it's like a real emergency and I'm like, shoot, I am in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. I actually would email all of them and be like, PSA, this is my problem. Who's free to help to talk? (laughs) And that's okay. But I think they're all so busy, right? They're all running their own businesses, their own lives, that they prefer me to reach out as I go, to be like, I'm stuck here, I'm doing this, rather than have these like structured mentor meetings that are kind of like a bit rigid and a bit old fashioned. Mm. But I do. So it's funny though, when you start writing a text to someone or writing an email to be like, okay, Tracy, blah, 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 blah. As you're writing it and reading it, you go, okay, take a minute. Let me backspace a few words. So she doesn't think I'm a complete fool. (laughs) Or sometimes those words are valid. And I'm like, you know what? Let her think I'm a fool because I am struggling today. And I think if you've got that comfortability level and that relationship, people get you and they know you, you know, sometimes I choose voice notes. Yeah, you can hear my tone of voice a little bit better. I also think sometimes even <laughs> sending the voice note or sending the email, the amount of times I've done that with a friend and went, don't worry, in writing that text message, I figured it out. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Oh, that too. That too. It's like you took too long, guys. I've worked it out. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry. Um, uh, you so would true. have seen, because we were on a video call uh, because you were in Melbourne, but you would have seen when we were talking about time zones, I picked up my phone. And I said to you before we... Yes. Uh, started talking that there's something I knew that we were going to bond over but I'd surprise you with it so this the reason I picked up my phone is because I was checking what the what time it was where you are and the reason why I have Sydney is in my phone uh, to check what time it is is because um, my most active whatsapp group is with uh, friends all over the world but a lot of them are in Australia and we talk exclusively about the real housewives well bravo to be specific I'm a huge Bravo fan. How did you know that? I know, I know. And I just thought as soon as you I know started all. Doing, <laughs> when I started doing my research, I thought we are going to get on like an absolute house on fire. Because... Oh, I, do you know what's funny? I love reality TV. Same. I don't know why. I just love it. And you know what? Actually, I met someone recently, another founder who runs a podcast in Australia where they talk about um, pop culture, essentially. It's like the most successful podcast yet. And I said to her, I don't know. I just love reality TV. For me, it's just a fun escape. It's like a, it's just chaos. And it's just a bit of excitement at the end of the day when I come home and it's just not serious. And I like that. And she goes to me, you know what? I think watching reality TV is phenomenal character building and you get a really good judge of people because you're watching people unfold on TV. So I feel like when you meet people in real life, you actually can work out if they're going to be your kind of person or not. And I was like, thanks for that. I'm holding on to that now. That makes complete sense and I'm sticking with that. (laughs) First of all, I'm going to need the link to that podcast because I'll need to add that because we also have like podcast episodes. Like I'm very much. It's called Shameless. The pod. I'll link you. The podcast is called Shameless. It's like huge in Australia. (laughs) Um, And Danny Danny Pellegrino. Like I listen to all of the kind of catch ups, watch what crappers. Oh, amazing. I'm the same as you. I, I say to my friends that I feel as though reality TV is a really wonderful way of learning life lessons and how not to live, especially in those early seasons of some of the reality TV shows, specifically to The Real Housewives, because it was all... The best. 
they're all fueled by ego. And I think when you're younger, as I, well, and I'm talking about my mm. personal experience, my ego led a lot of decisions and you see people leading with their ego <laughs> and like that posturing. So and so actually, I think it's a really good way of learning how not to behave in social situations. And that's what I enjoy. <laughs> totally. And you know what you can see as well? You can see like the evil side of like chasing money or chasing clout or chasing fame. And then you can see like the positive side of women that have gone on the housewives, haven't had a career, haven't had a job, build businesses, then they become financially stable. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really powerful statement in itself. Like Bethany from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I mean, sorry, Real Housewives of New York, I love her. Like I've loved her from day one. She was a hustler. She's built her career. She didn't rely on anyone. And I'm like, you know what? She made it happen for herself. And I think that's really powerful and cool to show all these people at home watching. It's like, if you want it, you can make it happen. I agree. I think there's something, re- and there's also something quite calming about watching it. And I enjoy, I enjoy this drama yeah. that doesn't touch my actual life other than me talking about it in yes. a WhatsApp group. <laughs> I, I need, I was going to say, what do I have to do to get on this WhatsApp group? <laughs> Well, I mean, we have a president, Jack, Jackie is in Australia. So you make friends with Jackie in Australia. I've got to make friends with Jackie. She, she's the one who she will get to know you. Then she will present you to the rest of the group and then there'll be a vote. Everyone always gets in, but you know, we have to make it seem like (laughs) we just, um, one of our members, it was their 40th birthday this week. And I got a cameo, we got, we got her a cameo from Mama D from Real Housewives of Dallas. No way. Yes, it was amazing. That is so cool. No, I'm obs- I'm obsessed with that. I love that. So do you watch all reality or just Real Housewives? I'm curious. I don't discriminate. I haven't done the... the. Uh, <laughs> so I haven't actually done like, uh, what is it? Married at first sight or blind weddings or yeah. whatever it is. But um, I haven't done those either. Yeah, but Vanderpump Rules yeah. has just been the thing that has kept me going for oh, the yeah. last month or two. <laughs> Of course. I think it's kept every anyone that watches reality TV, Pump Rules has kept me going in 2023. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this could be a whole other podcast. It's the best. I, yeah. I know that you're coming over to the UK in a few yeah, weeks. Yeah, I was so going to say, I won't digress you. We, we'll, we'll chat. We'll yeah, chat. What we do, we'll get a luncheon because as, as listeners will probably be able to hear, there is a slight delay. So we're just yeah, going to end up talking over each other about reality TV. But um, we'll get a luncheon and we'll talk about that. But it has been really interesting learning learning from your experiences and I have to say I've definitely (laughs) listened to you and thought oh yeah you need to be a bit more like Tass in that regard because she's got it right and you seriously got it wrong I don't know about that I think I could learn a lot from you I don't think I've got it all figured out (laughs) let's find out over lunch um it's been a real 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 pleasure to speak to you thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for staying up uh to to talk to me because of course. Um, I know it's the end of the day for you there I will put all the links to you the brand in the show notes but is there anything you want to leave listeners with and perhaps someone's thinking I want to check out this brand um what's their what's their entry mm. level what's the entry point for them oh well, I'm actually pretty excited because I am flying over in a couple of weeks because we're launching with Space and K in all stores on July 18th. And we're running a bit of a pop-up from the 23rd to the 29th, I believe, of July. So I'm thrilled. We're also at Cult Beauty and then on conservativebeauty.com and Mecca in Australia. Amazing. Well, I'll put all of those links in the show notes. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. It's been a true joy. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Ever Gun Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, 
then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Bye.